This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. The following episode of TOEFOP is rated M.A. It may contain Batman references, time travel references, sexual references, lost trains of thought, and mild coarse language. TOEFOP advises that the program is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who enjoys succinct, coherent conversation that might actually have a point. Minors must be accompanied by a parent, guardian or priest. This is John Deke speaking. Relax, this is Tofop. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. Hello, Charlie. Hi, Will. Guess what? What? Teenagers. You're dumb and I'm not. Ha <laughs> ha! Zing! Take that, Clawson. Podcast is Damn over. It. I win. <laughs> Tofop done. 240 episodes to get to that zinger. <laughs> no, teenagers, Will. Rowdy teenagers. <laughs> the thing I have been fearing. My entire life, it came, it came to bear this week. This, this podcast has turned into AM radio. It's just you complaining <laughs> about teenagers in the local neighborhood. We should stop getting sponsors like Ship Station and Movement Watchers and start getting sponsorships from like funeral homes and retirement plans yeah. and stuff like AM radio does. Yeah, adult incontinence pads and things like yeah. that. <laughs> well, the bin situation quietened down, I've got to yeah. be honest. And it wasn't due to me. I went out uh, one day to take some garbage out. And one of our neighbors had stuck a very angry handwritten note to the top of one of our bins to let other neighbors know that like, it was, it was funny. It was, it was written so angrily that it, it didn't make any sense. Like generally when you leave a note, just concise, Hey, don't park here. Don't dump in my bin. But this was an essay. Like yeah. he laminated it. Oh. Yeah. Manifesto. <laughs> Church Sorry, my, getting away again. My cat is Every time we podcast. Just jumping on the computer. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was a manifesto. This it was it was uh, not laminated, but put in like a plastic slip. You know what? It, you know those A4 plastic slips, and then yeah. gaffer taped waterproofed to the to the lid of the bin. And it started off with a general, "Hey, you know, please do not dump in our bin." But then it went into all the reasons why it shouldn't be dumped in the bin. Now, did it what say, it was- "Please do not dump rubbish in the bin," or did it say, "Please do not dump in the bin"? Because maybe there's a whole new problem that's <laughs> happening in your neighbourhood, and this is why this person is so mad. Maybe it's the version of that guy who was the poo jogger. The poo jogger's like, "I can't, I can't poo in public anymore. This is off the limit. So I'm just going to have to find somebody's <laughs> red lid bin and take a dump in there." Well, maybe it's me dumping my dog poo in there. Maybe my neighbor's getting confused. He can just smell it and he assumes it's a human. It'd be great, though, if your neighbor had come out one night and just found someone squatting over your giant wheelie bin. <laughs> just balancing like, on the edge of it. Like a possum. Yeah. No, I think I've stated in the past, our, where we live, it tends to be, especially the night before bin night, yeah. tends to be a dumping ground because it's on a corner near an alleyway. People seem to think, well, if I just chuck out whatever furniture and shit I have on the ground, that the uh, garbage truck guys will know to pick it up and throw it in the bin. But, Will, that's not how it works. That's a hard rubbish collection that is separate to ordinary garbage collection. Um, but since this neighbour left the note, that has quietened down. The bin situation is, is under control. But I was working late last night. My office is across the road from where I live. 
It's after midnight. Sorry, just, heard... yeah, we, have we moved on from the yeah. bins now? Are we moving on to yeah, a different yeah. story? Okay, so I yeah, just well, want to put forward the hypothesis yeah. that it okay. isn't another neighbour and that you're having some sort of Tyler Durden-style fight club <laughs> yeah. breakdown and right. you now have an alternative reality where, like, I've shamed you into not being so mad at the teenagers and you've <laughs> internalised that shame and anger and you've split off into an entirely yeah. different person who is now writing angry missives, manifestos to neighbourhood kids. It's like, Will, this old man's moved in next door. He's the best neighbor ever. We get along so well. <laughs> I can't work out why. Charlie, there's no one next door. That apartment's been empty for six months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so teenagers. So okay. I was working. I heard, I heard yelling. And uh, I think last week was the last week of school holidays in New South Wales. So there's been a lot of teen activity, especially around the burger shop near my place. But I hear yelling. And so I go to the window and I look out. And it is hordes of drunken teenagers like i'd say 30 odd teenagers different clumps and groups wandering up clearly what they've either been at a park or been there they've been down at the nang cave and they've been getting on the piss because they are rowdy like i'm talking when i when i looked out the first thing i saw was two teenage boys dry humping each other on a zebra crossing. Like one of them was like talking to his mate. Another guy ran up behind him, grabbed him by the hips and started thrusting his hips at his bum as quick as he could. And then um, probably said to his mate that he was gay. Yeah, like, that exactly. his mate was gay. Like yeah. you're gay. Because yeah. <laughs> I've done this to you. You're gay. I went up and bummed you. That makes you gay. Teenage boys really in control of their emotions <laughs> and logic. Then on another corner, there was uh, three or four boys uh, like mock boxing or, or UFC fighting, I guess it was. Like mm. there was three standing around while the other two were kind of sparring and throwing punches at each other. And there was a couple of uh, girls. One girl was crying, another two girls comforting her. So it was every every teenage, teenage cliche. cliche in the book. And what I love also, resist- Charlie, is the fact that you've referred to 30 teenagers as a horde. In the old <laughs> days, you would refer to that as a party or a good time. And these days, 30 neighborhood teenagers, and you think you're in the final season of Game of Thrones and the White Walkers are coming. It's 30 kids. Well, I, don't know why, I don't know why they descended on my intersection, but that's where they decided to stop. Maybe because there's a few bus stops there or whatever. But the piece de resistance is leading the charge with a little um, skinny kid carrying like a goon bag that was almost twice as big as his head. Like, I don't know if goon bags come in party size, but it was a gigantic silver sack. And the goon bag was getting passed around. So the UFC group, the uh, dry humping group, the crying girl. So everyone was taking a little hit on this goon bag. So I watched this unfold for about three or four minutes thinking, oh, this is great. Like, part of me was like, maybe I should... This is film. This is like brown cardigan content. But then I'm like, hey, maybe don't film teenagers. teenagers. It's probably the better thing to do. At your yeah. window? Oh, no, it wasn't nah. me. It was the crazy old man next door who was filming those teenagers. <laughs> and when so, I yelled out, show us your giant silver sack, I was talking about the goon bag. <laughs> the goon bag. So I'm watching all this play out. And then drama. A cop car arrives. And I'm like, Excellent. Let's see what happens here. So mm. the cops pull you up. You pretend and- you're surprised by that, but your alter ego actually called the cops. It called the cops, yeah. <laughs> so the police drive up and something happens, which I'm, I guess, you know, police are allowed to do. But so they pull into this intersection and that where they see the kids partying, they just stop in the middle of the road, but blocking this kind of four, four-way intersection. So there were other cars and traffic trying to get around, but... Because the cops just stopped. They didn't even put their hazard lights or their police lights on. They just literally stopped the car and got out and left their car right in the middle of the street. So no one could get around. And part of me was like, well, 
hey, cops, like the ute behind you, he just needs to get home. It's after midnight. He's probably got to get up early for work. Like, surely, I know it's not an emergency. Surely you could just pull to the side and allow the traffic behind you to get past. But these cops are like, no, no, this is a, enough of a situation that warrants us holding up traffic while we deal with the goon bag. Yeah, there's 30 teenagers having fun. We better ruin everybody's night. Because <laughs> we're the cops. So the cops get out and kid, the kid with the goon bag puts it behind his back, which is like brilliant. <laughs> they're, they're never going to see That's why they that. elected him the leader, Charlie. It's that yeah. sort of quick thinking. So the uh, I've got to say the kids didn't seem too intimidated by the cops. I was expecting a, a, like maybe a run and scatter. I seem to remember... It's a long time ago now, Will, but when I was their age, I seem to remember running from the police. If there was any sign of police, you'd just jump a fence and you'd, you'd just leg it. But these, these kids today, Will, these millennials, they seem very comfortable with the police presence. Yeah, that is interesting because I remember running from the cops as well. Like I remember we were coming home from the pub one night. We were having a party at a friend's place and we were, we were all probably 16 or 17, but underage, you know. Mm. And we had a slab of beer that um, was in the front of like a bicycle, much like E.T.'s <laughs> bicycle. <laughs> Yeah, and like right. where ET was, there was just like a slab of VB, VB <laughs> phone home, and I wrapped remember- in a bl- VB wrapped in a blanket. Yeah, <laughs> and we're just um, I remember, yeah, dumping the the slab in the bushes, and then us all just like scarpering in different directions. That was the plan. But surely, in a small town like you grew up in, don't, don't the cops know exactly who you are? Like, I mean. Can't they identify you? Is, is there any point in running? They'll just be able to go to your parents' place, wouldn't they? Well... Anderson, on Anderson Road. Graham Anderson's son. Like, it's a real easy link. Well, this was in sale. This was the big smoke, mate. This was, there's okay, 12,000 right. people in sale. You can get Ooh. lost in 12,000. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I remember... Um, oh, I would have been about probably the same age, walking home with three friends, and we decided to... We found a stop sign that was a bit loose in the dirt, so all three of us decided to... Just rock this stop sign until we could uproot it and push it onto the ground. You don't tell us uh, what to do, sign. (laughs) Yeah, it's like Homer in that episode of The Simpsons. Hey, Marge, let's break things. It's fun to break things. (laughs) The cops pulled up and we just uh, jumped fences. I just remember it was like the end of Ferris Bueller's. I just kept running through backyards, jumping fences uh, until I got lost. We didn't get caught. That was a big, big smoke, Will. That was Melbourne. (laughs) Three million people. Good luck, coppers. Well, the funny thing is, like, when we were talking about that before, I was like, I do remember sailors being massive, but it was. It was 12,000 people, which is in no way, like, a massive place. I mean, literally more people came and saw my Melbourne Comedy Festival shows than lived in the entirety of Sail, which I thought was, like, the biggest place in the entire world. And also, when you limit down your demographic, I mean, how many teenagers would there be in Sail? Like, that would shrink the number even more. And then how many six foot two teenagers would there be? Like, I mean, you're really making yourself easily identifiable. Yeah, I, and I reckon I went early though. How many I slightly think- chubby, Eddie Vedder looking <laughs> teenagers? Six foot two teenagers with boofy hair. I think my attitude though, whenever they, that shit went down, was to be the first person to run away. I wasn't right. going to, I wasn't like, I had that theory of like, you know, the surfers who were like, I'll surf if there's a shark out there as long as there's people surfing further out towards the shark. That was very much my attitude to any interaction with danger as a teenager was, I'm happy to be interacting with danger, but I'm not going to be the kid with the goon bag hiding it behind his back. I'm going to be the one who the cops are distracted by the kid with the goon bag and I'll scarf it off into the bushes. I remember we, um, we we were drinking in the middle of a school over once, not our school, a different high school. And a security guard came and chased us off. There would have been about 10 of us. 
and he caught one. And then the seven of us who got a, got away, or seven or eight of us got away, came back. And then it was like a hostage negotiation, negotiation where the security guard was holding on to our mate. But we then had to, it was a bit of a quid pro quo in order to get our mate back. I think we had to give up some of the booze we had or so there was some kind of exchange, the handover that went on. So let's look back on this, Charlie. Yeah. If you're a security guard, so like not a cop or anything, no. but just a local security guard and you find yeah. a bunch of teenagers drinking and you confiscate mm. those drinks, mm. what, what happens to those drinks? Are they reported Straight. back into some higher authority or is that like $14, $15 an hour security guard who has no one really to answer to? And it's not like the teenagers are going to go, hey, that security guard took all our booze. Is he sitting yeah. at home like with a lot of Maduri or something? Like a lot of cans of West Coast coolers in his house? <laughs> yeah, just goon bags as far as I can see. All his furniture in his house is just made from empty goon bags. Just no cushions, just silver pillows everywhere. I don't know what happens. Anyway, so tell us. Yeah, I'd, no, 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 no. Uh, I don't know what... I mean, I imagine the reason we were spotted in the first place is it was probably CCTV at this school that we're right. sitting at. So he probably Charlie Clawson TV it. that was specifically yeah, exactly. trained at you. <laughs> For me. So back to these teenagers last week. So... By the way, Cops pull- if you ever have like your own YouTube channel making stuff, CCTV would be the best name for it. Too easy. Should we just rebrand Tofop TV and make it CCTV? Well, I mean, why didn't we call it CCTV in the first place? You're doing most of the content for it anyway. <laughs> yeah, I really didn't think that one through. So, uh, okay. So, cops pull up. Teen hides a goon bag behind his back. The cops were actually pretty chill, i got to say. Like, they didn't yeah. kind of pull out their notepads or anything. They just asked the kid to hand over the goon bag. So the kid handed over and then the cop, this was his solution, was like, all right, I got the goon bag. Rather than just throw it in the back of the car and drive off, he goes to a dumpster, lifts the lid, throws the goon bag in there, shuts it. They get in the car, they take off, the traffic clears. So what happens? (laughs) His mates just boost him into the dumpster. Kid gets the goon bag back out. Before he gets out, stands up in the dumpster, takes a swig. They all cheer. Then he climbs out. They pick him up as if he's just played his 300th game. <laughs> they put him on the shoulders and they march off into the night. I mean, essentially the cops just gave this kid a hero moment. Exactly. Exactly. It was one of those things where it was like, okay, I understand that the cops probably got bigger things to deal with and they're just sort of trying to make a point. But surely they must have known what was going to happen. The only other thought I had is maybe the cops are going to circle back. You know how they do that sometimes? Like they'll give you a, a ticket for... So it's a yeah. bit of a, like we've given you a, a warning, but if you, yeah. yeah, we're going to put this goon bag just over here and yeah. if you go and get it, well, we gave you your warning. Now we're going to beat well, the like shit out of you. If they pull, if you get pulled over and your car's not registered, you're, like, you're at a rego or whatever, mm. they'll say, okay, just leave your car here and blah, 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 blah. But I know a couple of people who have gone, oh, well, shit, my house is three blocks. I'll just drive back home. And the same cops have pulled them over. They've been waiting for them to do it. So it could have been a little bit of goonbag entrapment. Well, the other thing is, I thought you were going to say that they just poured it out in front of them. Like, nah. that's what... I mean, because the cops don't want to put a goon bag, you know, into the the cop car. But I just thought, you know, you, I was going to have this image of this late policeman standing oh, in front of this pe- bratty with tea. With a pen. Just holding the little, oh yeah, with a pen, stab it. Yeah. And then just yeah. like hold it up like a severed head as an example. Yeah. Just go, look at this. How's your goon bag now? <laughs> Where's your goon bag now? <laughs> I imagine it was that the, the, the teens were so rowdy. I imagine if they had done that. 
as soon as they drove off, I reckon the dry humping teens, one of them would have gone over and licked it off the concrete. That would right. have been my prediction. Like Ozzy Osbourne in the dirt, he would have got on hands and knees and just licked up that goon bag juice. Yeah, the and then his other mate would have come over and dry humped him while dry he was doing it. <laughs> Go on, you're gay. Teenage boys. Teenage boys. So, finally, it came to pass. I, I've been paranoid for the last year, but I'm glad my paranoia. I feel justified. There are roaming gangs of teens in my neighborhood. They're not roaming gangs of teens. That's like 30 teenagers just having some fun. This is what we've discovered, yeah. Charlie. Like, even the cops didn't think. Like, literally, you've told me a story about kids doing something so inoffensive that the police didn't even get out their notebooks. Yeah. <laughs> More discipline, Will. That's what I'm saying. Compulsory service. Compulsory military service. Um, uh, I was surrounded by uh, like young people yesterday. Um, I went and saw uh, the Harry Potter and the Cursed Child play. All right. You finally you did go and see it. Yeah. So um, I got offered some... I'm interviewing Guyton Grantley, who's in the play. He plays yeah. Ron Weasley, adult Ron Weasley, uh, in the play. And uh, got tickets. Now, it's two hours 40 each half. There's an interval, but including interval. So the first half, well, the first half of the play, because it's in two parts, right, the play. Yeah. So the first half of the play, two hours 40 with an interval, but like the interval's only like 15 minutes or whatever. So like an hour and Hang a on. bit. So wait, the first half has an interval? Yes. So I guess it's in quarters technically, but it's over wow. two shows. You pay your money to go to a show, like a normal theatre show. It's a two-hour 40 theatre show, and that's the only the first half of the play. The play is in right. two halves. So, like, total, okay. it's five hours of, like, you know, theatre time. And does your ticket get you first and second half, or do you have to buy a separate ticket for the second separate half? Separate tickets. They are going to make oh. so much money on this thing. It's the craziest, like... Uh, I'm trying to it's bananas I'm trying to stop using like language like crazy so um, it's absolutely bananas it's uh, so the whole theatre the Princess Theatre which is one of the most beautiful theatres in the world the Princess and um, they've done it like a New York Broadway musical because they're going to be there for five years they've had the expense to be able to convert the entire theatre into you know, into the show. So the detail okay. around the room of every single thing, the light fittings, everything is like your know, theme to the show and incorporated into the show. And on a technical level, this thing is just one of the most spectacular things I've ever seen in my life. So, hmm. but I think it's $175 for a ticket and you have to right. buy tickets to both. So it's like $350 per person minimum investment to see the whole, the whole story. So right? when you say you have to buy tickets to both, what do you mean? Well, as in if you want to see the... It'd be weird to see only half of the story. Well, could you do that though? Buy a ticket to the first half and go, you know what? I wasn't into it. I'm not going to buy a second one. Yes, absolutely you could do that. Okay. And in fact, because right. I got free tickets, of, uh, you know, that was my plan. My plan was if I don't enjoy... Because I've never seen, like, like as I've said on the podcast before, I reckon I've seen a, a movie and a half of Harry Potter and I've never mm. read any of the books. So I, and it's a play. So I was kind of mm. thinking, you know what? I reckon after two hours 40, that might be enough yeah, for me. I'll get enough. the gist. I'll be able to yeah. talk to Guyton about how I saw it. I'll be able to go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Harry Potter. I get it. Wizards. Ron Weasley. Broomsticks. Lightning bolt on the head. Yeah, I get yeah. it, mate. Ron, you're the funny one. Yeah, I get it, mate. Yeah. It's all right. You're the yeah. Ralph Mouth of Harry yeah. Potter. Yeah, comic relief. I get who you yeah. are. It's all good. Yeah. 
Uh, so, first show was at two, second show was at 7.30. And my football team was playing at, at 7.30 as well. So, my plan was that if I I'd had enough after the first part of the show, I wasn't going to go back to the second part of the show. But I definitely went back to the second part of the show. It's... Okay, hang on, sorry. Uh, just because uh, just I'm still confused. Yeah. The second part is the second half of part one. Oh, sorry. Or, no. Okay. No. I so, know. Oh, it does seem confusing. I'll walk <laughs> you through it again. Thank you. <laughs> There's Harry Potter and the Cursed Child or whatever it's called, part one. Yeah. Okay. It has an and that happens on... Okay. So yeah. that happens at two o'clock, goes right. until about 3.20. You have an interval, goes until about 4.40, right? Okay. That's part one. Part Cliffhanger one. ending. Then part two starts at 7.30 at night. It also has its own interval. Okay. So do most people do the whole thing in one hit? You, you only like have that, that option on, I think, Saturdays and Wednesdays or something. The rest of the time, oh, okay. you would have to do it on two separate days. So the idea is you... See the first part and then you go away and then you come back another night and you do part two. Yeah. Although the day that yesterday when I saw it, a whole bunch of people around me were clearly doing both parts in the double header. Because I were the same okay. same people around me. So So, so if I you would, if you did the double header, how long's from that would be from two say two PM to what? Well, two PM until like ten o'clock or whatever when it finished. Fuck me. <laughs> but there's a two and a half hour break in the middle for dinner. You know, you go yeah, right. get some dinner. I went home, walked the dogs, you know, but, but, um, but, you know, I guess people in the city go out and they have a meal and stuff and then they go back in for the second half of the show. Anyway, yeah, right. it's amazing. It is stunning. Like the staging of it, it's really funny. It's really engaging. Like it's a brilliant, brilliant show. Like it, it's going to, like, it's going to run for five years. It's going to be packed every single night. And I imagine if you're a Harry Potter fan, because there's a bit of... Mm. The reason I bring it up in some ways is it has a time travel element that oh. has a bit of fan service of them going back to the past to revisit. Right. So I imagine there were some things that if oh. you were a Harry Potter fan, the, the times they were going back to and the characters that they were going back to would have that sort of fan yeah. service reward that, that I didn't get. But it didn't mm. matter to me. I was still really enjoying the show. The performances are amazing. The kid who plays, because um, essentially the two main characters are Harry Potter's son and uh, Malfoy's son, like the you know the bad guy's son, and um, well the bad guy from the you know the movies and books. I think the bad kid. Yeah. Um, although they kind of twist that as well, which is really great. And the kid who plays Scorpius Malfoy is hilarious. Like genuine, hilarious star, you know, incredible. How old is he? It's really hard to tell. Like meant to be a teenager, so I meant to be like a, I guess fourteen or fifteen. But I, it's hard Could to be tell. older playing younger. Yeah. yeah, but brilliant performance. Absolutely screams comedy every time he's on on stage. Just absolutely magnificent. But is he meant to be a comic relief character or meant to be a bad guy character? No, so. It's a kind of flip on people not living right. up to their dad's reputations or ah, living in the shadow of their dad's reputations. So, well, that's good. Oh, like what they've done with it, like Harry Potter is an adult trying to deal with the idea of, you know, what he was as a kid and what, he, you know, but then kind of not being able to connect with his kid and then, you know, this other kid becoming, you know, have, the kid having trouble growing up in the shadow of like obviously such a, you know, famous dad who in the wizarding world. Mm. It's actually a really good take on the story 
and really well told. I thought it was really fantastic. Was it written by J.K. Rowling? Did she write it? I think it was conceived, written in conjunction with her, but by some theatre people and, yeah, so right. not, not entirely by her, no. And the staging right. of it, the theatricality and the actual technical, like the way that they often show you them doing magic, you know, flying or shooting things or whatever. So there's this character who... I think they're called the Dementors or the Dementors. They're like that Dementors, evil, yeah, yeah, yeah. The big sort of evil, scary, Ghosty. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what they do with that in a sense in the theatre, where those things are flying out into the audience, is terrifying. And so, this is what I wanted to bring you to. <laughs> Shut is up! That this play made so many children cry. <laughs> Did it? Amazing. Like, like, because in the audience, there's like a whole bunch of kids, you know, because it's Harry yeah. Potter. And then there's a couple of really genuinely terrifying dark moments, <laughs> which is kind of necessary to the story. But kids around me were bawling. Like, you know, just like eight and nine-year-olds who are going to have nightmares for the next three months because, like, so the Dementors first come into it at the end of the first half. And so then there's been two and a half hours for us to all go back and we get back into our seats and the kid who's behind me is still having a discussion with his parents of going, asking, are they coming back? I don't want them to come back. I'm so scared if they come back. And I'm like, what is this thing that is just going to give all these children absolute nightmares forever? That's brilliant. Did it spoil? Did it uh, spoil your enjoyment of the show? Or did it add to it? All oh no, definitely added to it. Make it more like, terrifying. I was like, I'm much more into this now. Like I was thinking, it would just be a much more. <laughs> Nothing makes me happier than the tears of scared children. Well, I remember we all have those things from our childhood. You know, that first time yeah. you saw something that was genuinely scary. You know, something that yeah, an image or a thing or whatever. That my mate Greg Stannard had to walk out of Goonies because he got too scared. Yeah. There's, there's always sloth, that thing. Sloth scared him too much. But I had to explain to him afterwards. It turns out Sloth's a good guy. You don't have to worry about it, but he couldn't make it. Sloth was too scary. As soon as he saw Sloth, he was out of there. It's part of your childhood, though, I realized, from watching this. And this is what I really liked about what they did was they didn't shy away from that. Like, clearly, mm. they must know. Clearly, every time they do this play in front of, like, thousands of people, like, there's going to be, like, 1% of, like, you know, kids who are haunted forever because of it. And mm. I, I was wondering, is that kind of an important part of being a kid or like, you know, kind of being exposed to question. these dark, scary things? I think, it, yeah, that's a really interesting question. I was, I was talking about that with Jem over breakfast this morning because we've got friends who've got a daughter, she's five, and she's very sensitive about around death, like the discussions of, of not, not so much about ghosts or spooky things, but just the concept of life ending, which is fair enough. I mean... There's grown people who still have the same fear. But, you know, I was thinking about that because I, you know, grew up in a house where, you know, we'd lost family members from an early age. And my mum was quite open about discussing it. So death was never really like a scary, it's not something that kept me up at night. Like I had sort of normal kid fears of ghosts and goblins and, you know, all that other kind of stuff. But I think it was not that any, you know, it, was, it wasn't damaging to me to face that stuff. And if anything, like if it prompts questions, like I remember being five years old and seeing a trailer for an American werewolf in London, you know, that scene in American werewolf where he has the nightmare when he's sort of turning into the wolf and he's in that hospital yeah. bed 
and his eyes snap open and he's got the green yellow eyes and the teeth and I remember like seeing that and like shrieking like as soon as I saw that on TV and having to run out to find mum and sitting with her and then her deconstructing how movie making's done and you know that that was an actor and that they use makeup and you know there's a point people like being scared and you you know you realize that your heart's beating really fast well the same way you like to go on a roller coaster some people like to look at scary things but there's a difference you know you know you're safe and I was and it was good for me I think in a lot of ways just because then when I would see scary movies from then on I would get the thrill of oh I don't know if I'm enjoying this but still be able to step back from it and go oh but that's just a form of amusement well, this is what this thing did very well, I noticed, because nobody walked out or anything, possibly mm. because they'd all paid, you know, $350 for their day's entertainment. If there was like a some family of angry, four. Some like, angry dad is telling his kid, you stay there, you sit in your seat and you cry your eyes out. But the, the, it did seem to do a very good job of going from, here's this really terrifying thing into, here's... Um, you know, something fun and now you're back in the story. And it did make me notice yeah. that kids can go on that roller coaster of going, I'm terrified <laughs> and I'm crying. And then a few minutes later be sort of laughing and, and back into it as well. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's the context of it. Like you're saying, you know, the, it, with the story served, it wasn't a gratuitous, Hey, let's just fucking like play a loud noise or turn the music up or whatever. It's to scare you. Like there is context for it. And then there's an exit strategy as well. Like, I think if you just scare a kid and then offer them no context or no, you know, um, decompression from that experience, then then it could be damaging. But at least in the form of a narrative, especially where I imagine the good guys are going to triumph in the end. Spoiler. A child could probably, <laughs> a child could probably go through that experience and come out of it feeling stronger because it's like, well, you know, the good guys did win in the end. It's not like you're showing them. I don't know, some horrendous, bleak Lars von Trier film in which, you know, the, the, the darkness takes over. Although what I would say is that the first half, and it, I, I hope this isn't spoiling it for anyone, if you're really desperate, you know, to not be spoiled for this Harry Potter play, um, the first half ends with the revelation of uh, the Dementors. And, you know, when they are flying, well, one of them particularly is flying into the audience and whatever, it's like, it's genuinely terrifying. And that's sort of the cliffhanger <laughs> end of the first half so in some ways they go well there you go parents that's your uh, conversation on the way home in the car good luck with that and uh, i imagine if you're seeing the first half like a long time away from seeing the second half it's a good yeah. way to get people to buy tickets for the second half immediately so that the good yeah, yeah. you know what i mean because otherwise the kids yeah. living with that image for like three months you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna deprogram to them yeah <laughs> exactly you've just terrified them you've now got to deprogram them you've got to show them the other half it is brilliant marketing i yeah. mean it's interesting because knowing you i know that you you don't mind horror films but you're not like i don't i don't think i've ever had a conversation with you where you talk about you're not scared of like ghosts or goblins or any of that kind nah. of stuff so for you to say it's scary is that just objectively looking at it from a kid's point of view or were you genuinely like you felt scared Oh, I didn't feel scared, although there is another moment in the second half where they do a bit more of one of those traditional, you know, movie jump scares things. Look, a hand shoots out of a grave, you know, in that right. kind of old school. Yeah. And it's 2,000 people, whether they be children or adults, all screamed. Like, <laughs> it's done in such a way with such a noise and such a surprise that literally the entire theatre at once kind of did that, ah! Like, yeah. <laughs> which was amazing. So I was genuinely shocked or scared by that. But no, I think more on a level of 
that they're terrifying visually, like the imagery mm. and what they've done with it is terrifying visually. And then the fact that I was surrounded by crying children added to the <laughs> effect. <laughs> a friend of ours, Brett Tucker, was in The Woman in Black with John Waters, which is like another kind of stage show, horror-themed stage show. And that was all about like a haunted house. And I remember seeing that and it was like they they basically relied on audio uh, audio and lighting cues to terrify you. And after about like the fifth or sixth scare, you're like, would you just stop playing those loud musical stings? Like they'll just have like a, you know, and the audience would all scream and stuff. But after a while, you're like, this is not, the story is not scaring me. It's just the, the anticipation knowing you're going to play really loud music is going to scare me. I think there is something about the idea too that things are more scary sometimes. Like this is a Harry Potter adventure, right? It's about wizards and time travel and, you know, all these sort of mm. things. And then it has some moments that are really scary. And I think the reason mm. that they're so scary is that you're not sitting there going, hey, this is something that I should prepare for it to be scary. It gets mm. to bits that are generally scary amongst, you know, a very funny, you know, upbeat thing in a lot of ways. And I would argue too that any classic children's story that has lasted the test of time yeah. has those elements scary. in it. Like The Wizard of Oz, flying monkeys, ripping the yeah. straw man apart, terrifying. Willy Wonka going on that ferry through the tunnel where you see a chicken getting its yeah. head cut off. Murdering scary. all those children. <laughs> Murdering all those children. Scary. Yeah. <laughs> but I think there is that element, like kids, are gen like most humans, are going to be drawn to dark themes and... And, uh, 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 and subject matter. So I think there is a way of Well, I guess that. you're right, right? Even all that like Brothers Grimm stuff and whatever, like, you know, there's a big bad wolf that's going to eat your grandma and there's like a troll living under a bridge and like if you go out into the forest, you're going to find some people who've got like a gingerbread house that are going to bake you in their oven and stuff. It is actually all quite dark stuff. Yeah, and I, guess, I don't think there's any harm in preparing a kid a little bit for the fact that they're going to encounter things that like upset them or scare them or, or find them disturbing. It's a controlled, like I said, it's not like they're just randomly th th flashing up violent imagery or something like that. It's within the context of a story and they can sort of think their way out of it. And I actually think it's one of the shames with kids' films these days is they very rarely, like back in our day, back there we go, old man, my neighbor's speaking here, back in our day, Will, but kids' entertainment did work on that double level where, you know, adults could watch it as well and get something out of it. And maybe kids, there were darker themes that maybe as a kid you didn't quite understand, but as an adult you look back and you go, oh, this is a, you know, this is a, a metaphor for kind of like temptation or, or, or something like that. But now in this kind of highly sanitized, disney version of children's entertainment, it's very rare that you get to watch something like that and go, oh, yeah, like, you know, they, they went somewhere really... Like, think about... Jim and I were talking the other day about Never Ending Story and that scene where uh, uh, Atreyu's horse, like, falls into the sandpit and this kid is desperately trying to rescue his horse, you know, which is every kid watching. It's their dog or their cat or their pet, you know, and you watch that animal die. <laughs> it's like, if they remade it, I wonder if they would put that scene in because every person I know, particularly females... If they grew up and they were like horsey type girls growing up, that scene, still they'll get choked up. Like I know Amy gets choked up talking about that. Gemma got upset talking about it. Like it is one of those things where you, I don't know you feel, I don't feel you see that in kids films these days. Well, yeah. So I, I liked it. Big thumbs up. That doesn't need my recommendation. It's going to do fine without it. But uh, yep. <laughs> it kind of made me, it didn't make me more interested in rediscovering the Harry Potter universe in any way. 
Um, right. Oh, one of the interesting things about it, Harry Potter fans will know this, but um, Hermione in this is black. Like it's a black actress, and you know she has her and Ron have a, a black child, and it's for me having never watched the movies, it didn't even occur to me. But I wonder if there didn't seem to be any. You know, I mean, I think people are fine with it. Oh, I hang on. It's- are you are you are you all right? Are you going to say you wonder if people are bothered by that? If some people kicked up a fuss about that, some Harry Potter purists. Well, I imagine they did, right? There oh must yeah. Have been, yeah, of course. There must have yes. been some fuss yes. about it. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, but of course, because I don't follow Harry Potter news, I hadn't. I I didn't even. I I did not know that was going to be the case, and B had no connection to the original character to be to feel one mm. way or the other. But it did occur to me. I was like, oh, I bet some people were mad about this. <laughs> Oh, I mean, any discussion about Idris Elba playing James Bond and people lose their minds. And it kind of, it's so funny because they're fictional characters. Like they're not, I mean, I can imagine if it was a historical figure, you're like, well, Freddie Mercury wasn't black. So, well, he was black. He was Pakistani. Well, um, uh, 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 <laughs> bad example. I'm trying to th- <laughs> bad example. I'm trying to think of one white person from history. Uh, and I can't you know, think of one. Martin Captain Luther Cook. King. If, Martin Martin, Luther if they King, said yeah. that Martin Luther King was black, for example. But does it really like? Does it really matter? I mean, if there's any, if there's something about, if there's nothing in that character's bio that says, you know, that they're from particularly from one place or another, why does it matter? Why does it matter? If it's this, essentially, you're watching James Bond for gadgets and fights and stunts and beautiful women and all that kind of stuff. So who cares? Well, certainly they pay no attention to it in the story, like which no. I loved. Like there's absolute. It's just like no. This is this is Hermione. There's no reference yeah. to it or any particular. No one ever says anything about it, which I thought was great. It was fantastic, and the the woman who plays Hermione is amazing. Oh, I did learn something. Uh, yeah. Voldemort. I thought it was Voldemort. What? Voldemort. Voldemort. Yeah. Silent T. Apparently, well, at least in, in oh. this in this universe, in this play universe, Voldemort yeah. with a silent T. I've I've been going well, maybe- Voldemort. We should uh, change the name of the podcast to OFOP. OFOP. Silent T. Like Voldemort. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Our hero. Hello, everyone. Mike Hal here. At this point in the episode, Will and Charlie begin to discuss Avengers Endgame. They do a great job avoiding specific spoilers. However, they do cover some general themes that could act as spoilers. If you don't want to hear any conversation surrounding Endgame, skip ahead to time code 5505. Thank you for your cooperation. Now, we uh, discussed off air, we should do a little uh, roundup of um, Avengers Endgame. We've uh, both been lucky enough to see it in the first week. Um, So we thought we'll try and do as spoiler-free as we can. But if we do stray into spoilers. Uh, Mike Howell will place a little warning and, and we'll time code it so you can skip it. And what uh, I would also say to people is that if you are a huge fan of this franchise, see it without spoilers. Anything. Like yeah. there's there's some movies that I don't care about spoilers. I, I, I will listen to an entire Weekly Planet podcast of them talking about a movie and then go and see the movie and actually enjoy it more sometimes. But this is mm. one of those movies where if you really care about this, like just turn off even this podcast now because yeah. anything that we talk about could be in a, in a way a spoiler about the movie. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Cause I did that. I didn't, I, I went radio dark. I used my mute function on Twitter for the first time ever. And I muted end game Avengers spoilers. And I managed to 
not hear anything. And so I was really surprised, really surprised. Like in the first 15 minutes when I saw what they did, I was like, oh, I even, I actually even elbowed Gemma and was like, oh, because it's like, this is unexpected. Oh. Are we well, in spoiler I think- territory? I mean, I mean, we're not in spoiler territory now, but the one thing I would say is that I love that essentially, and maybe this is spoilery, so if you haven't switched off now, definitely switch off. This is not huge spoiler, but I love that it was Back to the Future too. Right. Well, I love that the movie Back to the Future is referenced in this film. Mm. Is that a spoiler? That Probably or, even that or, is a spoiler. Like, yeah. But in they have, at the start of this film, uh, a conversation around time travel and mm. the rules of time travel, which is actually necessary that- to the rest of the film. Like they're setting up their versions yeah. of how the rules of time travel work. And they have what could have been lifted out of a TOEFOP episode uh, discussion around time travel. And I'm like, the Avengers are doing a TOEFOP. This is the best movie ever. <laughs> it is so funny you should say that. I thought they were going to get a list of the 25 best time travel <laughs> films of all time and go through them but one I, by one. I was just listening to that episode of TOEFOP because I was going through that episode and I was like, oh, this is funny and um, naming all the time travel films. And then I literally saw Avengers the next day and was like, this is crazy. They've just named like all the films that we made jokes about. In many ways, Skyscraper the Musical, the podcast, <laughs> is a perfect companion piece for Avengers Endgame. <laughs> um, it, what I loved as well is that uh, once you've watched the first 15 minutes of the film, you've seen everything that you saw in the trailers. So yeah. even if you saw the trailers, like it had been around that they only given them eight minutes of footage or whatever for all the trailers, but you see most of that in about the first 15 minutes of the, the film and then you are pretty much you know, on your own in regard to anything you might know about what's going to happen. Yeah, I just found the whole thing really satisfying, like surprising and, and really satisfying. I thought they did an amazing job of kind of serving each character. Like obviously the way they mapped it out was – some characters get more service in Infinity War and other characters get more service in Endgame. But I think they, the way they prioritize that makes complete sense because Endgame, you really want to see what happens to the guys you started with. And I thought they did a really good job of just giving all those characters their moment. The thing that I would say mostly about it is that they had one of the hardest jobs to do. They had 21 movies and you know 11 years to essentially try to wrap up in three hours and to even just pull that off would have been in itself an amazing feat, you know, just to pull it off. But I I think they not only pulled it off, but they, they did a better job with it than you could have ever imagined. They could have done with all the things that they had to do. Even if, because I think most of the quibbles anyone could have with this film would be just what your relationship to certain characters are. So whether Mm. you like this character being more, like this or like that, you know, like, do you prefer this character being a serious character or a comedic character? Mm. They twist that a couple of times, but I would Mm. argue that even with the ones where they go a bit more comedic in the second film, they gave them their opportunity to be heroic and avengery in, in the first film so that you got, you get to have both of them regardless. Like, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I understand. And I don't think I've, I can remember a film that has more high-quality actors delivering 
more ridiculous dialogue with absolute sincerity. Like there's just a few scenes where I'm like, oh my God, like this actor is really committing and this dialogue is laughable. Like in the hands of a lesser actor or a lesser director, it would be garbage, but they 100% commit. Like it really is a great example of like, if you get top shelf talent, <laughs> they can do anything. They can elevate any anything to a, to a, a high standard. Well, I think the greatest trick the Avengers universe ever played, the thing that, you know, we've got used to now, but it should be actually the most impressive thing almost out of this franchise of everything is that they've convinced every good actor that they can be in a comic book movie. And Mm. at the end of this movie, when they're going through the credits, you realize literally they've convinced almost every good actor to be in this series over the last 11 years. Because at the end, it's like if you got that many high quality actors invited to the Academy Awards, you'd think it was a good night. Like they've all been in that movie. Like when you're in a movie, now this is a tiny little bit spoiled. I mean, all this is, but I'm trying, but when you can get, actors of the quality of Natalie Portman and Michelle Pfeiffer to mm. be involved in something where they barely get a line or don't get a line. Yeah. Like, but I have a theory. I have a theory. I reckon that Natalie Portman, her appearance was B-roll from The Dark World. I don't think she came back and shot a cameo. I just, I just reckon they would have had footage left over because there was a couple of shots where – she was meant to be in the scene, but it was clearly like a body double. And it's like, well, they didn't have her for multiple days because otherwise you would have been able to get all those shots in one day. I reckon they just had some B-roll footage they didn't use in Thor The Dark World and they just used that in the film and gave yeah. her credit. But but she went to the premiere. like so oh, she's, did she? Yeah. So she's, cause oh. she's, she walked away from the Marvel Universe and was never going to work with right. them again. So obviously they got her agreement to at least go, we, we want to put you in this final movie. She's going, well, I'm not coming, yeah. but if you've got some B-roll yeah. and a body double, <laughs> yeah. I'll come to the premiere. Whack my name on the end. And they were like, That's amazing. That'll do. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I thought it was, um, I thought they did such a great job of balancing out. Because I, I, I where, when I think about superhero fatigue, it's always, oh God, the third act is always just a CGI mm-hmm. battle. And, you know, again, spoilers, but you know, I mean, they're, they're, you're going you're gonna to build to a big fight. Like that's obviously what's going to happen. But yeah. I thought that they were very economical in the way they used that. And all the stuff that I liked the most about the film was two characters talking. That was my favorite stuff was when it, when you, no special effects, you just had two really good actors talking. It actually made me think this is probably the thing that is the most accurate to the comic books more than anything, because often... In a comic book, you'll have your big splash page of a battle. But, you know, 80% of it is characters just talking huge, like, chunks of dialogue. And I just thought they did such a great job. That was the stuff that I felt really engaged with the most, was the, just the kind of quieter scenes. Well, also, in comic books, it would just be boring if it was just a battle. Splash page, yeah. Your big splash pages of battles. Yeah, okay, great. Like, good good for the guys drawing it, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Did the, did, the, like, did the writer have like a month off? Like, I'll just make it a big battle. You, you can wing it. I don't know. Spider-Man jumps on a building and shoots some webs and stuff. So um, Tofop says, uh, Avengers Endgame should do well. According to us, now that we've endorsed it, I'm sure it's going to do great. Yeah, Harry Potter and Avengers. We've got behind <laughs> some real risky propositions this podcast. <laughs> uh, so uh, I think we can say that it has a time travel theme. Um, yeah. And again... I think they balanced fan service 
I mean, mm. this is not a movie for anyone who hasn't seen at least three quarters of the Marvel movies. You don't need to have seen them all, but if, no. you, if you've well, seen Ge- Gemma. Gemma hasn't seen all of them, but we watched Infinity War a couple of days ago and I just sort of talked her through and she was well caught up. So she understood exactly what was going on by the time she was watching it. I think, I think it works to see Infinity War. Yeah, if you've seen Infinity War and, then, and understand Infinity War. So all you need to do really as a catch-up is watch Infinity War and then like watch a Mr. Sunday movies or a, like something like this. Yeah. Watch a few, few things where they explain what was going on in Infinity War and then you'll be ready to go for Endgame. Yeah, I mean, it was I. I was leaning over to her and whispering, "That's Ant Man. Yeah. That's the original Ant Man. That's Ant Man's helmet." <laughs> <laughs> After a while, she's like, "I'll get it. I'll just trust the filmmakers. We'll make this all fit him. You don't need to explain every little bit." But they do a good job of revisiting some past things that we've seen and giving you a new perspective, or you know, being in that world. So I just thought as a way to complete something where you can revisit the past as a device but also mm. not just revisit the past and give it like fan service but use it as a storytelling device and give it a twist and let us know something more about so in this movie they not only managed to do that for the sake of this movie but it adds a depth and a twist mm. to some of those older movies as well when you rewatch them now which I think is yeah. I mean that's a an amazing thing to be able to do too well I think the 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 best thing for me about it was like first of all even in established infinity war like thanos's motivation is clearly understandable like yep. that's what everyone talks about it's a it's a really good i mean it's a twisted motivation but it's very clear and you can understand it well that makes sense yep. you know what i loved about the second half is a how they sort of sidelined that dilemma really because you know thanos isn't really a, a, something to deal with until like the third act but it becomes about Tony Stark's what he is willing to risk to put things right and I really thought because everyone jokes that Tony Stark is responsible for everything that's gone wrong in the MCU and if you believe that then I think that this film is a very satisfying conclusion like the acknowledgement of it what he has to sacrifice in order to make things right even his dilemma about whether or not to get involved was completely understandable. Like I actually even found myself getting choked up in parts. I don't know if it's like maybe it was just the end of an era, but the whole theme of family and stuff, I was like, oh, yeah, I actually get this. And like, you know, sometimes it gets to a point where you're like, well, I don't want to give up what I've got. If you like movies about family, Charlie, I'm going to introduce you yeah. to a little franchise called The Fast and the Furious. You're hmm, really- Fast and the Furious, you say? Well, well, uh, I mean, I, I like films about family, but I also like films about Corona. Do you have a franchise that uh, could well, work for me? You're in double luck today. In fact, the oh, final boy. one of those should be a time travel film where they get like a Fast and the Furious style DeLorean and they travel back in time to the other Fast and the Furious <laughs> movies, which is nowhere near as ridiculous as some of the things that have already happened in the Fast and the Furious franchise. I cried four times. Four Did times. You? Four times in the movie I cried. Yep. Four times. Uh, can you... Can you, without spoiling it, can you give me like, can you hint at what those areas were? Uh, which ones? When was I the say? first one? When was the first one? Oh, see, it's, it's been a week since I've seen it now, so it's hard to like. It's still <laughs> the one thing I will say is it's definitely a movie that I want to go and watch again in the in the cinema because there is so much going on that I, I you know, I'm sure there's bits that. Um, one was when um, a, a major character died. Yep. Uh, one was when a particular configuration of uh, 
superheroes lined up together in a fight scene. Yeah. Uh, if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, oh, one was when um, someone's... Oh, God, no, I can't, that one, it's harder to... Don't anyway, no. a character who hadn't been a superhero before suddenly was a superhero. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I can't remember. That last one might have been at the end. I, I, I can tell you the one for me was when a character who is a supporting character from one of the earliest ones is talking to an offspring of one of the characters. And just that moment, yeah. like I just was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, that might've been that actually, it, I, I know there was something towards the end. There was a lot of stuff yeah. towards the end that was, I mean, obviously meant to make you feel yeah. like that. Oh no, no. You know what it was? It was a cry of what? like of joy. Uh, <laughs> there is a moment where a particular character uh, you in a battle has a moment where the, no, I can't. This one, okay. I, this no, one I can't much. do. But anyway, all right. Oh, no, uses, okay, it. I can say this: when right. one of the characters okay. uses another character's weapon. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, was, he cried there. Oh, well, out of <laughs> okay. kind of joy, I was like, this joy. Is like, this is like, this is so cool. <laughs> like that, you know, that sort of like, oh my yeah. god, this is like the best. Uh, I didn't know that but, I wanted this to happen, but now that this is happening, this is like, like overwhelming at how good this. You know, when you see a bit where you're like, oh, that's the bit like um, in uh, the first Avengers film that when I just am feeling a bit down around the house or whatever, I go to the bit where you know when Bruce comes up on the motorbike at the end of the first Avengers and then he gets off the motorbike and Captain America's like, uh, yeah, Banner, this might be a good time to you get angry and he just turns around. That's my secret cap. I'm always angry and then just turns into the Hulk and smashes. Like there, there's a moment in that particular moment with the weapon is I know it's just going to be as soon as this comes out, like on download, I'm going to just be watching that moment over and over. Yeah. And I've got to say too, the use of Hulk is my favorite so far. Like ah. I thought the first Avengers was my, my favorite, but I just loved, I just loved, it was so unexpected and I loved it. I just thought the whole thing was great. The execution, the way they used it was just brilliant. I loved when they go back to New York in 2012 and now he has to go, it just feels it's like really hackneyed and cliched. It's so funny. I mean, that's there's real moments like that where if it was a Judd Apatow film, you'd be like, oh yeah, here's a real character moment. They're just letting the actor go for it. Maybe it's ad-libbed or whatever. And I felt like they were doing that in a film that was CGI with special effects. They had these moments where the scenes and the and the actors could just breathe and have fun. And it was really engaging and endearing. There's this one particular joke where a character has been fighting himself from the past. Yeah. And there is a running joke about a particular part of his body. And then there yeah. is this like payoff <laughs> to that joke, which is, I was like, what are we watching? This is the yeah. best. This is so much fun. That just happened. <laughs> All right. That's probably enough we, yeah. uh, about uh, uh, Endgame now. It's hard so, to talk uh, go about see it, it without spoiling it. Yeah, we can we can probably do a more in-depth dive yes. in a couple of months once everyone's seen it. But let's get to some Patreon messages. So I did a big send-out last week because we did the big uh, Patreon mail-out. What I've worked out, though, Will, is because sometimes I read these off my laptop and sometimes I read mm. them off my, um, my iPad. But what I've realized is that my iPad and my laptop, they don't um, organize the Patreon messages in the same way. Like, there are people who appear on my iPad who don't appear in my laptop. So... I'm trying to make sure that we get to everyone, 
But if there's people that I've missed who sent like a message ages ago, just bear with me. I'm, I'm trying to work through this. Uh, it wouldn't be TOEFOP if there wasn't technical issues. Well, speaking okay. of TOEFOP, you also explained yeah. to me off air how much this is costing us, which is very <laughs> TOEFOP. Yeah. It's just when we send things internationally. I mean, it's our own fault, but... Uh, if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash TOEFOP. Patreon is like a crowdfunding site, but it's a monthly crowdfunding site. So any amount you put towards us just uh, enables us to keep doing what we do. We pay all our, uh, all uh, Mike Howell and James Fosdyke and enables us to keep doing the show as we do. I've noticed there's been a bump in Patreon in the last couple of months. So thank, thank you, you anyone who's new to Patreon. Welcome on board. And if you'd like to win a Tofop sticker pack, you send us a message like these people were about to hear from. So this is from also, also our costs. We have had, we're, we're trying, we've got a few extra costs at the moment. So we genuinely do appreciate everybody who contributes because it just helps us do all the things that we need to do. Uh, this is from Jessica, uh, two colon Fobot, two colon Fobot, two colon Fop, robot uprising already here. Hey, Will and Charlie. Uh, well, I just wrote this and then tried to double check. I was only sending it to you and not the entire list of patrons, promptingly deleting my email. So, been listening for about a year now, only new episodes. I'm tempted to go back and listen for episode one, but you keep insisting that's a terrible idea. So far, mm. I've heeded the advice. Good. Stick with that. Anyway, I have some thoughts on the pending robot uprising you so often talk about and would love your thoughts. What if this isn't a thing of the future, but it's actually already in full swing? And not in the form of Alexa, Google Home, ringing doorbells, etc., as you would think. Rather, I think the uprising is taking place in real time in the form of the Kardashian family. Think about it. They've instituted themselves in our society. They have millions of followers from around the world They buy, uh, that buy, wear, eat, listen, and watch anything they do and say. They dominate social media and even have their own sim-like video game. The TV show continues to amass ratings and they are multiplying at astonishing rates. And then there are the physical assets. Whether they are enhanced or natural, they are the perfect disguise distraction for what I assume are necessary robot bits and pieces. If this is the case, we are more screwed than we thought, as they just need to say the word and their legions of robot followers will form into a massive army. Not the brightest army, albeit, but there is something to be said for strength in numbers. So what do you think? I am one of your overseas listeners and probably not your target audience being a middle-aged, thanks for solidifying that will, woman from New Jersey. Nonetheless, if this is found worthy of a sticker book, my address is below. Keep up the great work, boys. So what do you reckon, Will? The Kardashians are robots. I think that's a pretty good theory. I mean, if you were robots trying to infiltrate the human race, pick the most popular family in entertainment. I mean, Kardashian sounds like car... Dashian, Kardashian, Dash, like it feels like a bit of a mechanical sort of sounding name, like Kardashian. you know, yeah, it, like if if it was Star Trek and there was a race of Kardashians, yeah, and they were like you know a, a sentient robot race, that would make sense. Yeah, the Kardashians, yeah, absolutely. We're going to the planet of the Kardashians, and then sort of the next Jenna, or oh, the next generation, Jenna, oh, generation, Jesus oh my God, <laughs> mind blown. <laughs> I mean, they do have the most sort of followers on Instagram and, and Facebook and stuff. So the idea that they are coordinating an artificial intelligence and some people might argue that this sort of obsession that we have with sort of reality TV is distracting us from concentrating on the important issues in our society, whether it be politics or whether it be, you know, the fact that, you know, mm. our privacy is being, you know, taken by all these things. So, 
you could do worse than using the Kardashian family as an example of, you know, at least and, distracting us from the robot invasion. And isn't Kim studying, gone back to school? She's studying to be a, a, a criminal attorney a or something like that? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. She, yeah. So they're going to infiltrate every part of society. I think this person could be onto something. Whether or not they're robots, I don't know. But they are going to take over. <laughs> Change the laws. Uh yeah, I am worried about the robots taking over. People keep sending me new Boston Dynamics videos. And mm. a third of my show this year uh, was pretty much about me worried about the robots taking over the world. And I've decided not to tour my stand-up show this year, mostly because um, I needed some time off, but secondly because it's about climate change and the robots taking over. And I believe those topics will only get more and more relevant as the years go on. <laughs> so if I just let this show marinate for a year, I feel like it's going to be even edgier next year as we get closer <laughs> to both of those things happening. Uh, Ryan writes in, Hey, Tofop. Hey, Will and Charlie. Considering Will's hot take on Aquaman, which ended up being the most successful DC movie to date, I wondered what you both think of the new Shazam movie. As I write this, uh, the second big trailer has dropped. That's how old (laughs) these um, messages are. Uh, And it's two weeks from release. So by the time you read it, the sequel might be out. (laughs) I like the idea that the DCEU can drop the depressed Superman for a 14-year-old with an almost identical power set but real vulnerabilities too. Love the pod. Please persist with Two Guys, One Cup too. As a West Coast supporter, it's been quite a ride hearing you get on board. Thanks, Ryan. Uh, I saw Shazam. And? And, yeah, thought it was all right. I didn't, I mean, I don't know what I was expecting. I've read the Shazam comic and didn't really like it. I don't know why I thought I'd, I'd like the, the movie. It's very, very family friendly. It was a lot more, I didn't realize how young a target audience they were going for, but it is... It's not, it's, it's a kid's film. <laughs> it's why I got tricked into seeing a kid's film, Will. I don't know how that happened, considering it's about a 14-year-old who can transform into a superhero. I don't know what I was expecting, but uh, yeah, I mean, look, it's all, it's fine. It's, it just wasn't my cup of tea. No, and I stand by the fact that Aquaman, despite the fact that it uh, has been very popular, is a terrible movie. <laughs> JD writes in, Tofop Respondents. Hey, lads. Long-time listener, first-time messenger. So a few years back, I was lucky enough to head backstage and chat to Will after one of his Perth shows. It was the end of his run and his voice gave out, so he had to rest up. But it got me thinking of a hypothetical. Given that between podcasting, acting, radio and comedy, the both of you generally rely on your voices, what do you think your careers would be if you couldn't talk? Hmm. What would I do if I couldn't talk? Write, I guess. I mean, do I have to have a career? (laughs) Well, he's going to sit back and collect that sweet disability check. Well, I, I mean, I've done okay. I could sell up and move somewhere cheap and, you know, sort of live off my, my savings probably. If I, you know, if I move somewhere well, cheap enough. Well, I guess if, I mean, if it happened to you now, like you suddenly, you're, mm. you lost your voice now, you could. But if you started your career and you're mute, you're like Holly Hunt in the piano. Oh, right. What career would you have gone to then if you couldn't talk, if you've never had a voice? Uh, mime? I could do mime. Yeah, you could be good at that. Or you could be the guy on stage at the comedy festival. You had someone from Ausland, didn't you, doing the signing doing the for signing. Show this year? Yeah. yeah. Well, oh, yeah, could I could that. just use yeah, I could just use sign language and become a professional. Yeah. I could do everybody's act in sign yeah. language. <laughs> be the world's greatest comedian in some ways. <laughs> you see me at Eddie Izzard. You see me at Eddie Murphy. <laughs> I'm the world's greatest comedian. How funny am I? And look at all the styles the I can do. Here's my Nanette. <laughs> the world's greatest time-traveling 
comedian, it sounds like. You're working with Eddie Murphy, who hasn't been on stage since 1984. I mean, well, Eddie Murphy's come back. The thing that it was keeping uh, him was he didn't have a good Auslan interpreter. <laughs> Second hypothetical, if you have the time. Uh, so, sorry, there's a full stop there. Second hypothetical, if you have the time. You Freaky Friday style body swap with Russell Crowe for the day. What do you do with that opportunity? Uh, well, I would start tweeting out hashtag Trofop to everything. I'd give the podcast a, bit, a couple of big shout outs. And that wouldn't be off brand for Russell either. Like people wouldn't go, no. oh, somebody's clearly taken over Russell Crowe's body for the day. Um, I don't know, what would you do if I you mean, were... you'd have a few big names in your mobile phone, wouldn't you? Like you'd have Tom Cruise on speed dial, Baz Luhrmann, Nicole Kidman, uh, Ridley Scott. I mean, I'd maybe make some prank phone calls. <laughs> or know, just like even just... Pr- Maybe just even like have a day catching up with all those people. And yeah. maybe even mentioning Tofop to them. <laughs> just ringing up Denzel and going, hey, Denzel, I've just got a podcast recommendation that you might like. G'day, Denzel, it's Russ. <laughs> Again, that would be great. We hijack Russell Crowe's body for a day and all we do is use it to boost our podcast. <laughs> hey, Kate Blanchett, it's Russell. You ever listen to Tofop? Anyway, got to call Steven Spielberg. <laughs> Uh, cheers to the constant free entertainment lads and shout out to the tea room on Facebook. I'm one of the admins. All right. Thank you, JD, for being an admin for tea room, uh, for the tea room, which is available on Facebook. As I've mentioned before, I'm not a member, but I do float in occasionally and observe from the, from the corner, from the shadows. Um, all right. Well, let's pick a winner from this. You've got Jessica who thinks the Kardashians might be robots. You've got Ryan who was asking about Shazam and you've got JD who wants to know if we'll Russell Crowe for a day. Uh, what will we do? And losing our voices. I think just for running the tea room, we've got to send JD a sticker book, don't we? Yeah, that's unfortunate to our first uh, one though, because I thought that was a pretty good. I thought that was a pretty good hypothetical, but I think the fact well, that you're you know from what? New Jersey, Charlie's ruled that out, and he's gone. That is overseas. No. It's going to cost us eight dollars. We're going to send it to JD <laughs> instead. By the way, old mate in the middle, Ryan, you, you thought that yeah. Aquaman was good, so you're getting nothing. <laughs> I'm going to send two sticker packs out today. One to JD, basically for running Tea Room, but also it's a good question. And one to Jessica, because it was a great question. Yeah. Um, on Russell and good. Crow, though, I like that too, Charlie, because it rubs it in the face of Ryan. Don't defend that for a man on this podcast. <laughs> you were the wa- Everybody the gets a prize guy. but you. <laughs> uh, while we're on the subject of Russell Crowe, we've got a couple of uh, just regular emails to our T-mail address, which is uh, emailtofop at gmail.com. If you're not a member of Patreon, and I understand that some of you can't be, but you still want to send us a message, just go to tofop.com. There's a link there. You can click on that. Send us an email that way. Uh, okay, this is from Kathleen. Subject, Russell, Tofog, and the SB. Hi, Will and Charlie. Here's another tantalizing Tofop fact. When you started this week's introspection and explained the SB, I had the radio urge to call you. Then listening, uh, the, the listening area discussion had me imagining putting my hand up to add something. Finally, a dream of, tra- of the traveling TOEFOG band convinced me to not send quite a TOEFOP fax. But back to the fact. I once saw TOEFOG play at the SB. I assume it was 1998 as I was living overseas in 1999. Sadly, the crowd was far smaller than the Gershwin room accommodated. There's around 30 of us max. <laughs> I hope you draw a bigger crowd when Russell joins the Tofop pod circuit, and I'll be there. Keep up the free two friends having a conversation. I've used the line my friend was saying when talking about you. Love the rambling, Kathleen. 
Well, that's funny because I must have almost crossed paths with Russell back then because that's about when I started doing stand-up at the SB in the Gershwin room, like 97, 98. So there's a chance that even Russell and I could have run into each other back in those days. Well, while I'm still on the topic of, of Rusty, Dan writes in, Hey, Tofop. Boys, first-time listener, literally, but long-time Wolf fan, pre-Jays even. I'm digging the potty. I had to speak up about Rusty's stupidest band name of all time. More productive than yelling at the phone. Ha 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 ha. Bizarrely, I attended a live footy show at the Enmore, I think, a long time ago, and many beers on the night, and I believe it was Rusty's band's first high-profile appearance on Aussie TV. He was asked about the dumbass name, and he said that he'd seen a film tin on set once, literally titled 30-odd foot of grunts, which was, well, 30-odd feet of audio of mm, grunts, maybe left over from a porno. So that's, the, that's Rusty himself uh, on live TV, pre-internet, well, Netscape, day, Netscape days anyway. No idea how it morphed into the name being about the height of the band members. Hashtag internet is always right. Cheers, boys. Dan. I'd like to think that this is one of those ones where every time Russell gets asked about the name, he comes up with a different story. That's what I'd prefer. You know, it's like, like the Joker's what, origin. Yeah, exactly. You want to know how I got these scars style? Yeah. All right. That's the show for this week. Um, like I said, support us on Patreon. You can also go to Tofop TV on YouTube to check out some of our video content. There's Q and A's. There's Lessons for Life, the web series. We've got a bunch of other stuff uh, coming up uh, on on. Back on our Patreon site, we've got a new Quantum Cop. James Fosdyke has just sent me the artwork for part two of episode four of Quantum Cop. I think that's what we're up to. Um, so these worth your while joining. Uh, Will, you got anything to promote? Uh, I'll be in Newcastle in June doing my Will Eagle show. But other than that, I am having a, a break from touring for a, a six months at minimum. And we'll see what happens after that. But So no new dates until at least the end of the year, but maybe even next year. So really the only gig that I have on my calendar at the moment is uh, Newcastle, which is in June, but it's already over 50% sold out. So get onto that if you're in Newcastle. All right. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you.